0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Psychologists don't use the word um, soul anymore. Since the 1930s, it's not required, it's surplus to requirements. Uh, if you uh, think that the soul is uh, where uh, the sensations become perceptions uh, where decisions are made where logic resides uh, where uh, love is manufactured you don't need it to to hypothesize its existence mm. because there's already an organ that performs what if this function
0: to create a story where nothing much happens where people don't change more reflection of the real world. Nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? Welcome to the first bonus episode of A Theory of Mind. I'm your host, author and biographer Ben McKelvey. Now normally on this show we present to you an interview with someone who talks about a specific instance of neurological or physiological change. We're not going to be doing that today. Today we're offering something a little bit different. It's a conversation with an eminent academic and scientist who has a few things to say about the nature of our brains and the nature of ourselves. In this episode, I interview Professor George Paxanos, who's been the president of the Australian Neuroscience Society, president of the World Congress of Neuroscience, the author of dozens of research books, and is known as one of the world's most eminent neurocartographers. What is a neurocartographer, you ask? Well, I suppose you could say that Professor Paxinos is an explorer, but instead of searching for new continents or ancient civilizations, he's been searching for meaning in the folds of our grey matter, slowly building a map that correlates between the physiology of our brains and the expression of ourselves. With his semi-completed map of the brain in hand, Professor Paxinos has a few things to say about the fundamental nature of our being and specifically about free will and the idea of the soul. I can't say I agree with everything that Professor Paxinos has to say in this conversation, but I found him a fascinating chat nonetheless, and I really appreciate him coming into the ACAST studios. If you'd like to keep in contact with the show, the best way is via my Instagram, which is at BennyMirk, B-E-N-N-Y-M-C-K. And now, Professor George Paxinos. So I did a little bit of research... And in that video, you're talking about the fact that sometimes at Bondi Junction, you have coffee and you sit across from people, people you don't know, presumably, and you ask them whether they think they have free will or not. Is this something you actually do to strangers? Uh,
1: I did it once to a lady uh, and uh, she said, uh,
0: uh, I do, but I don't think the others do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you have any preamble? Did you say, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm uh, a professor or... Uh, no, uh,
1: but it seems to be a good pass line for someone <laughs> if they want to exploit it. Uh, people will answer you. Uh, another time, uh, I was giving a talk uh, on uh, why psychology lost its soul. And uh, uh, I approached some people in the cafeteria who were going to go to the talk and I asked them, uh, do you have a soul? and uh, invariably the answer w- was pardon me they don't expect that question mm. uh, eventually i got an answer i did until the until i did my phd <laughs>
0: you lost your soul you gained a you gained a doctorate but you lost a soul yeah. Yeah. It is interesting that, that questions like that, and this is something that you talk about quite a lot in your research, questions of, of whether we have a soul or whether we have free will or whether you know religion has any merit, um, these are fundamental questions and things that people thought about a lot um, in previous eras, but it's not something that people will talk about now, really. Uh, uh, there are books now. People are still writing about it,
1: and we might have to attend to it a bit more, given the religious fervor that we see in some places, mm-hmm. uh, science for a while looked as though it was going... that its rationality is going to put in check uh, these uh, uh, desires to exterminate those who don't have the same faith as you, so that there would be more people like you to worship the true God. Uh, but uh, no, uh, the Internet, all this information hasn't helped. Mm. I mean, there's been uh, less enlightenment recently than uh, some centuries ago, perhaps. I mean, can you imagine writing the uh, American Constitution now, uh, the Declaration of Independence now? Mm. Uh, I- in fact, if you ask the Americans uh, uh, with some of the clauses in uh, those... They disagree vehemently until you tell them that they're in the Constitution mm. or, or the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, uh, 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 so uh, this uh, uh, enlightenment, who it might be coming to an end, and then darkenment mm. might be uh, coming to us if indeed, uh, as it seems, systems will be compromised on the planet and there will be less and less uh, power in centralized states and uh, more and more um, anarchy uh, failed states.
0: I mean, what a start. We will get to doom and destruction and the end of the world (laughs) later on in this podcast. But before we get there, um, just by way of introduction, you know, there will be some people who know who you are. There'll be a lot of people who don't. Um, I'd like to know a little bit about your journey from from Ithaca in Greece uh, to Australia, which I understand you were born in 1944 and you ended up in Australia in 1973, but a lot of interesting things had happened in that period um, in America, in Canada, and in your profession as well. So can you just tell us a little bit about who you were when you were a young boy and how you came to neuroscience and how you sort of traveled to Australia? Yes. Uh, in uh, uh,
1: 44 that was born it was the end of the war and subsequent to that there was a civil war in greece and depending on what side of uh, the war you were on whether you were with the collaborationists or uh, with the resistance your family that is uh, you suffered the consequences uh, or the benefits Uh, and my family was with the communists and uh, um, my father left i saw him First time when I was 14, after he came, it was safe to return. And my first brother, I saw him first time when I was 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, it was a time uh, that uh, Ithaca especially suffered another problem that is, a big earthquake. Uh, and then people were leaving anywhere they could go. So my father and first brother were illegal immigrants in the United States. Uh, My sister in Melbourne and my other brother in Africa.
0: Is the US a strange destination for a family of communists in the 40s? (laughs)
1: Well, they would go anywhere. It wasn't that they had a choice. They Mm. were trying to leave Greece so that they would only end up in jail. Uh, as one of my cousins, ended up for 20 years. And uh, uh, then uh, when I finished high school, uh, I had an opportunity to go to the U.S. My father was there at that time, and uh, uh, I took the chance to study once there. It was actually easy to study then because the Sputnik had gone up and the Americans started uh, supporting science. And I received uh, a national education student loan Uh, to uh, commence my uh, studies Uh, and I went to Berkeley uh, and then to the war in Vietnam was on I I was supporting the uh, Vietnamese not the Americans. So I left the U.S., I went to Canada. They wanted to draft me to go and fight Ho Chi Minh. Yeah. There was no, no way I was going to do that. And uh, I received my PhD in psychology uh, at McGill University. Uh, by then, the uh, draft in the U.S. Has, had ended. Uh, there was a lot of resistance to the war. I returned. And uh, I was at Yale at that time for the year. And in fact, I organized locally uh, the registration, of especially of black people who tended not to be on the electoral rolls, because there it's not obligatory to vote, and uh, uh, so that they would vote for McGovern against Nixon. Mm. That didn't happen. Of course, Nixon won. Uh, then there was a job advertised at the University of South Wales, a letter came to Yale, and uh, somebody... Uh, they are in charge of the lab in the absence of the big professor who is running the lab, said to me, there is a job for you in Australia. I said, well, I can't leave now. I'm on a two-year postdoc, and it's only one year. He said, we will not miss you. (laughs) Uh, In fact, he missed me. He's here. I brought him here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, We were friends. What
0: what sort of studies were you doing then? Were you studying psychology or neuroscience at that Uh, point?
1: uh, the part of psychology that belongs to neuroscience. Neuroscience is a big umbrella and includes part of psychology. And I was looking at brain control of behavior, especially aggression, at that time uh, in rats and cats. Uh, Cats do not spontaneously kill rats. Uh, But if you stimulate their brain at the right place, uh, what they think is the Place that is involved with aggression mm. and you activate that area, then all cats will kill rats. Mm. Okay? Uh, so I was studying... Uh, well, actually, the Vietnam War, uh, with the aggression associated with it, had uh, uh, forced these ideas to see how the brain controls aggression. Uh, so uh, with this... Uh, later, uh, I applied and uh, I had to find out about this University of New South Wales. And uh, uh, I called a psychiatrist friend of mine in New York who was from Melbourne. And I asked him, uh, What do you know about uh, the University of New South Wales in Sydney? He said, That is the university in Sydney. Turned out they gave me the job. I came. It didn't look like the university Mm -hmm. at that time anyway, 73. And when uh, my psychiatrist friend came to visit me in Sydney 20 years later, I asked him, why were you so convinced that the University of New South Wales in Sydney was the university in Sydney? He said, I thought you were asking me about the University of Sydney. (laughs) But uh, uh, it turned out well for me because I paired up with uh, a good anatomist to do the work we did, Uh, Charles Watson,
0: uh, who incidentally is still my collaborator, 43 years later. Let's go back a little bit. Um, At some point, I mean, we're going to be talking about whether free will exists later on, but at some point you made the choice to work in psychology and neuroscience, um, where did the attraction come from? I mean, you've, you've ended up looking at some of the most fundamental questions about the self and about, about you know, human existence. Is that – did you have a, a philosophical bent? Uh, well,
1: I, I mean, it was a bit of an accident. I was at Berkeley and they, uh, they, uh, my, I was advised that uh, I shouldn't take a lot of psychology – at that time, but instead philosophy, or something else anyway, Mm. because psychology, who was really uh, my main uh, study, uh, would be disorganized the first year that uh, the university changed to the quarter system. Uh, So I took a lot of philosophy, so I was was exposed a bit. uh, As to the psychology, why opt for psychology? Uh, In fact, uh, this surprised my mother, who came to see me, and uh, she said... uh, uh, why psychology? I, said, I tried to explain to her that I uh, study rats, rat behavior. Mm. Uh, and she said, but with rats, after so many years of school? Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I was not exposed to psychology in Greece, but uh, I was studying mathematics initially, uh, but I had an elective in psychology, and that was where the chance factor came in. Mm. And uh, a charismatic teacher uh, that uh, I was looking forward to it course mathematics uh, I would think yet another le- uh, hour of mathematics so I said why should uh, shouldn't I follow my interest and uh, uh, I went to psychology I didn't stay in, I stayed a couple of decades in psychology but then uh, another chance event um, made me move totally in brain research and anatomically so uh, which neuroscience uh, uh, field. And this is, I was on a sabbatical at Cambridge, and there I saw a stain that uh, revealed the brain as though it was colored in already. Hmm. Uh, That is the various areas were just starkly shown, one uh, quite easy to distinguish from the next. Uh, That's a big problem with the conventional stains. So I thought, since I was working with the rats at that time, with the rat brain, that I would be able to do an atlas of the rat brain and uh, uh, using that stain. And in fact, we use that stain now. Other people use these stains as well, following us, uh, to make atlases of the brain. We use it now for the human brain, monkey, bird brain, uh, the mouse... Uh, the marmoset, uh, the rhesus monkey. Mm. Uh, And because uh, it's a constant we use for everyone, it's actually uh, like a translator. It's like the Rosetta Strone. The same story is told in two different or many languages in many species. And if it's consistent, uh, that is, you can see the same part of the brain staining, Strongly for this chemical in this species and the other species in the same uh, the other species, in the same region of the brain, then you uh, conclude that it must be a corresponding part. So we have been uh, doing maps since then. I thought it'll take uh, a sort of of uh, um, a year to do a map of the human brain, but I'm still at it uh, uh, nearly forty years later.
0: It, a, a word that I've never heard before was the word neurocartographer, <laughs> um, and that's something that you you. That's a, a name that you've described to yourself. Um, I've been called worse things. I'm sure you yeah. have. Was that a new word when you are a cartographer? Uh, or brain cartographer. Brain probably. cartographer. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, it's easily obtained by yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah, possibly others have used it before. I mean, I... It makes sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've sort of gleaned from the little bit of research that I've done on you is that uh, you are sort of one of the preeminent people in understanding the differences between a human brain and an animal brain. And this sort of feeds into the question of the soul that we get to later on. Um, so is there a fundamental difference between an animal brain and a human brain? Is a human brain just slightly more complex and slightly larger?
1: Yes, the uh, human brain and the non- uh, human animal brain the uh, closest one is the chimpanzee to us as externally is similar so internally and uh, uh, I wanted actually to study the chimpanzee brain prior to trying my techniques uh, and and concepts to the human brain because the chimpanzee brain you can obtain short period postmortem where mm. the human you have to wait for 10 hours uh, by which time a number of things degrade and you don't get good uh, results. Uh, so I wrote to the Toronga Park Zoo back in, uh, in 1980 for the opportunity to do a postmortem on a chimpanzee brain once a chimpanzee died. They responded that they would be happy to oblige, but they had not had the death of a chimpanzee in the zoo for a decade. Mm-hmm. Two months after receiving my letter, three chimpanzees died. Uh, luckily, they didn't suspect me, <laughs> uh, and I ended up studying uh, the brain of uh, one of them. Uh, and uh, in the part of the brain that we looked at, uh, the brain stem, the part that uh, is uh, close to the spinal cord, uh, that's involved actually in many functions, including uh, depression, uh, schizophrenia, uh, that these uh, chemicals that are produced there and sent to the rest of the brain uh, uh, are involved in such things, uh, uh, or Parkinson's disease if you lose uh, mm-hmm. a chemical in in part of the brain stem. Uh, so in, tho- in, in that part, there was no difference. Uh, That's all parts that were in one are in the other. But that is uh, actually the the monkey as well, because we said the monkey, Similarly, the rat, there are some differences, or maybe a 5% difference, 10% difference uh, in areas. In uh, uh, the uh, rest of the brain, uh, the monkey that we studied, we didn't study the chimpanzee for the cortex, the most recent development, uh, and there, uh, the, the, the monkey, both the rhesus, and uh, uh, the marmoset, uh, we didn't find differences mm. with the human brain. And we are not the first to do this work, this comparison. Uh, number of areas were compared uh, by other scientists, and some of them joined uh, us, actually, on the map of the rhesus monkey and uh, the marmoset. And the, the same areas are found in the same order. There's never a reversal that is that you will... Uh, just swap uh, one area for the other, the sensory area for the motor area. They're Mm. all in the same order. Mm. So nature is uh, conservative. It doesn't change much. Of course, the human brain is far larger. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's
0: BlueNile.com. There's been a perception, or there was a perception for a long time, that in that elevated size and in that elevated function of the human brain, then... Something called consciousness or self existed. Um, as far as you know, sort of cognitive ability and, and ability to, to have emotions. What sort of difference is there between us and, say, a marmoset or a rhesus monkey? Uh, uh, right, uh, the um, uh, consciousness,
1: at least these people who have studied it, I've uh, only just read about consciousness, mm. uh, is considered to be actually widespread. Now self-consciousness is uh, a bit more tricky uh, and uh, for the, the chimpanzee has self-consciousness in the sense that if you apply uh, something on its forehead forehead that is not uh, aware it is there, uh, but sees it in the mirror it, it will use the mirror to remove it. Yeah. Uh, so they know it's them, uh, their self-consciousness. Uh, but the uh, chimpanzee in terms of uh, emotions and also the the monkeys where they really really studied the monkeys far more uh, is uh, you can see uh, things there uh, Francis Deval for example has studied this uh, an elegant demonstration uh, of fairness Uh, 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 that is indignation if the arrangement is not fair Mm. you give the other monkey grapes and you give me Only cucumber. I mean, you know, they prefer grapes. So you should see the indignation to the point of throwing the cucumber against the experimenter. So uh, uh, these uh, videos are on the web, and so you can see the emotions. I mean, this of course was spoken by Darwin in emotions in animals as well. So uh, the uh, nature has produced good brains; otherwise, they wouldn't be surviving. Of Mm. course, you can produce. Other strategies to cope, you can produce a good shell uh, like the turtle and hide in there. But, uh, but there's nothing so that, like a good brain. <laughs> but a good brain, I'm up to a point. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, now, before we did this interview, you suggested that I read a couple of articles that you'd done for the conversation, um, which I found both of them very interesting. But one of them was a, a, a little bit controversial. Um, it had a lot of comments and a lot of people, uh, you know, f- found that it quite con- contentious. Um, but I can imagine it's something that you would say, well, the, you know, the science all suggests this, so, you know, this shouldn't be a controversial opinion. And it's that uh, there is no difference between the mind and the self, the brain and the mind, the brain and the self. It's basically a cause cause and effect machine. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit more about the article that, that you wrote?
1: Yes, that is... Uh, This is the concept of D.O. Hebb, uh, uh, who was briefly my teacher. Uh, He is one of the founders of uh, neuropsychology, and uh, uh, that the mind, or the self, as you say, or the narrator, uh, is the integration of the activity of the brain. And when that activity is non-existent, such as when the brain dies, then there is no mind uh, and uh, uh, the uh, the bre- if uh, you don't need to invoke anything else uh, to uh, explain behavior or modify it uh, psychologists don't use the word uh, 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 um, soul anymore since the 1930s mm. i haven't heard anybody use it they don't it's not required. It's surplus to requirements. Uh, if you uh, think that the soul is uh, where uh, the sensations become perceptions, uh, where decisions are made, where logic resides, uh, where uh, love is manufactured, where memory is stored, you don't need it to, to hypothesize its existence, mm. because there's
0: already an organ that performs these functions. The problem with that idea, though, is that um, if you have no soul and if you have nothing more than uh, the result of your experiences and the you know, biology that sits in your skull, then you don't really have free will. You, you, you're sort of more a, a passenger in your life and you have the illusion of free will, you have you know the illusion of emotions and the illusion of the, the connections that you have with people and that's a concept that's sort of difficult for people. Um, I wanted to ask you how you actually struggled with that concept and if you ever did in your life. Yeah, it's liberating
1: actually. If you uh, understand that uh, basically those who wrong you are maladjusted clocks. And when you harm someone else, when you shouldn't, then you as well have been maladjusted by conditioning in your life. If you, Ben, and I were born in a country where many of its men would stone women who allegedly burned their holy books, you and I would participate with the same likelihood of participating, that is, as the men, the other men, born in these countries. Mm. If you accept that, it's liberating. You understand them then. You do not uh, extract revenge against a crocodile that uh, ate your brother. It makes no sense. It's the genetic endowment uh, as modified by environment, in the case of... of, uh, The crocodile, uh, the opportunities for modification, because the systems are not so flexible, are not great in humans, they are. But you can produce humans with uh, also uh, difficult motives. Look at the Second World War, and look how these things can change. Uh, In the Second World War, uh, the Germans took, uh, by and large, uh, a catastrophic course for themselves and for the rest of the people, Look at them now. Germany is one of the best citizens of the world as it concerns the environment uh, in the
0: Scandinavian countries and Germany. It, Australia, it's one of the worst. Have you ever had these conversations with somebody who is deeply religious and thinks that, uh, you know, that, that there is some divinity, that there is something outside of our, just, just our experience and, and, our, and our genetics? I would welcome the opportunity to discuss
1: with someone uh, a different uh, thing. Sometimes, of course, they would quote you the Bible. It happens on some occasion, but they would quote you the Bible and say, it says that, and, you know, if you don't have a common ground, uh, to me, that common ground will have to be scientific evidence. Mm. Uh, And uh, if they rely on the sayings of the uh, Bible... Uh, then uh, it's hard to get common ground. But if you find somebody who would like to have uh, a discussion with me, I would be pleased to come.
0: Mm. One of the other articles that I read um, that you wrote for the conversation was about uh, the experience of love, um, suggesting that it doesn't reside in the heart, that it resides in the brain and it solely resides in the brain, that it's, um, that it's uh, you know an evolutionary um, uh, impetus that we have. It's, it's you know, it's hormones it's you know it's it's things can be that can be accounted for um the knowledge having that knowledge and studying uh those sorts of things the way that you had has that affected any of your relationships looking at a grandchild looking at a a lover looking at you know looking at at someone in the (laughs) (laughs) eyes or has it affected your relationships explaining this to somebody else that you (laughs) supposedly (laughs) have a loving relationship with
1: uh yeah i mean by and large has been taken Lightly, rather than seriously, uh, my comments, though I think the scientific evidence is irrefutable to just step back firstly. Uh, it was the ancient Egyptians that had the notion that the heart is that responsible for the thinking. That's where the soul resides. And um, uh, they preserved it, and they discarded the brain, sending millennia of pharaohs brainless to the afterlife. Mm. Uh, it was Hippocrates, uh, uh, about 400 BC, who said, uh, It is from the brain and from the brain alone that arise our pleasures, joys, uh, uh, laughter, uh, uh, and jests, and uh, also our uh, sorrows, uh, pain and tears Uh, and this uh, went uh, contrary to the early notion uh, and aristotle unfortunately who came after hippocrates uh, took uh, uh, the view of uh, the ancients uh, the prior people that uh, it is the heart and because uh, aristotle had uh, uh, the greatest influence the greatest influence of any of the ancient uh, philosophers scientists Uh, His view remained dominant until the dawn of the modern uh, era uh, to the point where Shakespeare uh, in The Merchant of Venice, uh, Portia, asks, where is fancy, this love, where is fancy bred or in the heart or in the head? Because this remained the cardiocentric versus the encephalocentric theory of uh, love. But uh, uh, the uh, cardiac uh, transplant surgeons uh, have shown beyond any doubt Mm. uh, that the heart has nothing to do with uh, love.
0: Is this this strictly true though? Because I have heard about uh, some sort of neural cell matter that exists in the heart telling the heart to beat. And there has been instances, there has been recorded instances of people having full heart transplants and actually Retaining some of the emotional memory of the transplant. Have you heard of, uh, of these uh, types of things of uh, happening? There are a lot of things that you hear. And <laughs> well, I read it in the New Yorker. <laughs>
1: unless they are in some, uh, 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 th- that would go so contrary to anything we know. Right, uh, that uh, would an extraordinary claim requires extraordinary evidence. Mm. So you cannot go by uh, some. Uh, evidence that are not that strong and uh, I had this uh, good or bad luck a lady from uh, ABC Melbourne called me after this article appeared in the conversation and she said are you claiming that the heart has nothing to do with love I said if in a heart transplant I receive your heart I'm not going to fall in love with your husband <laughs> and she said What a pity. He's (laughs) such a lovely man. (laughs) There's just logically no reason Mm. that that will happen. If somebody wants to adduce uh, copious evidence, let's look at it. But it makes no sense for a cluster of neurons that are local to the heart. uh, They are going to retain something. uh,
0: um, It just is preposterous to me. Another interesting idea that uh, that you posited in, and I saw this in one of the one of the videos that, that featured you, was that um, <laughs> the size of our brains was sort of awkward, um, and if our brains were a little bit smaller, we couldn't bring this sort of um, environmental apocalypse that that seems to be coming. And if our brains were a little bigger, we'd be able to figure out the the question of carbon and and the things that are ruining the planet. Can you elaborate a little <laughs> bit on that idea? Because it's an interesting one.
1: <laughs> yes, that that is. It is not the monkeys that uh, are threatening the planet. Uh, it is uh, humans who managed through development, uh, well, through the uh, enlargement of the brain, that permitted it had enough enough synaptic buffer, as they, they say in the field, that is you had more neurons uh, between the sensory and the motor. Uh, you are not. Uh, like uh, a, a small uh, worm that will respond just like that. There's mm-hmm. processing and uh, it integrates the previous experience and uh, you have a plus and minuses conditioning that works there. So because of that, uh, and now we were able to uh, build on each other's experience through languages and writing and uh, go ever higher. But the problem is that we are uh, emotionally not much different. If you look at it, uh, if you read the Trojan War and the current wars, uh, I talked to somebody who deals with uh, uh, the Roman Empire, historian. He, he, can, he gives you very astute observations about the current events. That is, we are not that different mm-hmm. in, in uh, that respect, though our technology uh, has advanced. So we find ourselves... Uh, now uh, in a predicament uh, where uh, if the brain was smaller, uh, we're in an evolutionary vice. If it was smaller, it wouldn't be able to produce this technology. If they were larger, it would have been possibly uh, able to comprehend the problem, even solve it. And therefore, I say that it's not the right size. Hmm. If Just the size is not right. Either smaller would have been right, larger would have have been right. But the thing is that what humanity hasn't understood, and a number of people have said that, including uh, uh, the uh, Garo, the uh, um, nobelist in chemistry, uh, that uh, we live in an alien uh, universe which is deaf to our music and as indifferent to our hopes as to our pain and to our crimes. Mm. Uh, And we have to understand that we are just another animal on the planet. And we have a larger brain indeed, uh, but we are not as uh, intelligent. It's, It's a hubris that we're saying the century of the brain. Well, what a century. We're about to burn ourselves. So we have to understand uh, that neuroscience, at least will tell you some things, that we are bereft of free freedom, no free will, that we are the product of our environment, that there's no evidence that there is soul. If you, if you understand that, that there's no freedom, no free will, uh, uh, no uh, soul, uh, that we are just... Uh, possessing a brain which has many deficiencies and it is, we must get rid of the hubris that were made at uh, the uh, image and likeness of the deity. What a hubris. And if we understand that we uh, uh, really possess paleolithic emotions and nuclear weapons at the same time, we might be able to uh, set our stern for the dawn and not the grave
0: of our children,
1: mm. and
0: make wings of our oars. Questions of, of, of spirituality, of free will, of, of religion, um, even of self, they're all things that sort of have traditionally helped us through our lives, through history. We live these finite existence and, uh, and things can be, you know, dark and depressing and difficult. And these things that, that uh, you have said exist only in the brain and, they, you know, they're, they're sort of ephemeral. They're, you know, they're, 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 they're more um, concepts than things that are actually in reality. Um, discovering those things, has that changed your outlook, your happiness, how, have you enjoyed your journey through neuroscience? We have to look at both sides of the coin. Religion
1: can indeed and I think a lot of medieval uh, people uh, um, in spite of all the hardship they would think of uh, another day in another life that they will be rewarded for all uh, the toil that they good behavior they did now, which I don't have that benefit, but I do not See that neuroscientists who, maybe the majority of them, uh, think as similarly to the way I we're talking now. Mm. I speak to you now. I don't see them depressed in, in mental asylums anymore than the other people, or for that matter, uh, that they are now unbridled and they can go and commit any crime they want. Because after all, you know they are not going to go to hell. Yeah. No, they are not. And more frequently in jail than their percentage in the population at large would uh, s- suggest.
0: I love this idea of a bunch of psychopathic neuroscientists. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like a premise for a great Netflix series. <laughs> um, well, that's it. That's all the time we have. So I, I really appreciate you coming in, Professor Baxinosis. It's been fascinating. So thanks a lot. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. That was Professor George Paxinos in the first of what I hope is going to be many bonus conversations with those who are investigating our brains and our minds. I'd like to thank Professor Paxinos for coming in. I'd like to thank you for listening. I hope you catch us on Wednesday for another episode of Theory of Mind. And until then, follow your bliss. Each